Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bones. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. That was perfect. Thank you, Amy and Darcy. All right. Okay. I don't. Is Megan here? Is she on Zoom? She was like, "How many times are you going to make the joke about bringing the fire?" And I said, "Every second." She's not here. So anyway, I am about to bring fire. This will be the most passionate sermon you've ever heard on Mother's Day. I, I don't know. That's true. I I can't say most passionate or most fiery because I have done that many times in my life. I get pretty fired up easily, so I don't know if this will happen today, but I'll try. Um, But we're preaching on the four elements, um, and I think that I'm brilliant. Actually, I think the Holy Spirit is brilliant and inspired me and some others, um, because Christmas time, which feels like a long time ago, but it really wasn't in the church calendar, Christmas time is when we really reflected on the incarnation, um, God become element, creator become creature, incarnation, God in the flesh, God with a body. Um, God as a body, not just in a body. And then we did an eight-week series called Body on embodiment. And then we did a six-week series called Blood on um, sorrow and death and suffering uh, for Lent. And then now to tie the incarnation and body and blood, we're doing elements. But it's also the month where everyone starts gardening and planting seeds and remembering this glorious earth that's been hiding under the snow and this amazing river hiding under the ice. And all of us are remembering that God is very much present here in the elements, um, that we are element and God is element um, and God is that which is becoming element. And so uh, at the communion table, I don't know what tradition you come from, but some some traditions refer to the communion table as the the table that hosts the elements, right? These are the elements. So it's like, yay. Okay, so Kara talked about earth um, last Sunday and I think she did a beautiful job. um, And today we're doing fire. And I know like three or four people now have been like, you should have done water on Mother's Day because like water's of the womb. But I, my firstborn is named Ember. So I do not agree. I think fire is today's fire. Um, yeah, so earth, air, fire, water, the four elements. Um, any of you, if you're like a scientist or a chemist, you're like, well, there's more than four elements because we actually have like a whole periodic table now, right? Um, but Going back at least as late, as early as 400 BC, um, it was believed that all of the material realm was made up of earth, air, fire, and water, that these were the four elements. Um, And these four elements really were the cornerstone of philosophy, science, and medicine. Um, Even Aristotle refers to these as the four elements. Uh, And so this is an ancient tradition, and and the idea of the four elements is an idea that wouldn't have been foreign to Jesus or the disciples or the early church. Like, this is a, a real cool, interesting thing to reflect on as a church. So we're going to explore fire in scripture, what fire means, um, how fire could inspire us and reignite something in each of us and us as a church. So um, I mentioned a moment ago that my firstborn is named Ember. And I feel like I should tell that story because it is Mother's Day. But um, when David and I uh, were engaged, we had a very quick engagement um, because we wanted to get married in the summer, but he wasn't sure he wanted to marry me until midway through July. So didn't want to wait a whole year, so we just kind of whipped a wedding together real quick. Um, and I remember uh, on our wedding day, I knew there was like some kind of drama because he was getting something engraved in my ring, but I don't know. We had a very 
quickly planned wedding. So I remember at the wedding day during the ceremony, I kind of put the ring on my finger, he put the ring on my finger, but I knew there was something written on it and I didn't know what. And I married a very artistic, sentimental, creative man. Sometimes his poetry doesn't make sense to me because I'm not that way all the time. So I like snuck the ring off and you know what it said on the inside? On, and he, as I'm doing it to read it, because I really want to know, I wanted one of the surprise. He's like shaking his head like, don't read it. What? What's going on? He explained it after, but when I read it, it just said, fear Leah. I was like, oh, who's Leah? This feels like a, a strange way to tell me this. Anyway, but it turned out he was trying to get my wedding band engraved with Fearless Ember, but the engraver made a mistake and the E in Fearless became the E in Ember and then somehow it just became Fear Leah. But he, they were like, we need six more hours. And he's like, my wedding is in two hours, sir. So he just took the ring and then we brought it back a week later to finish it. But I'll never forget that. So I have a wedding band somewhere. Um, my hands grow and shrink a lot every day, so I can't wear rings, which is weird, but that's okay. It's not in the Bible, so it's okay, right? Okay, anyway, that's a whole other issue that is mine, not yours. Um, I asked him, I was like, why fearless ember? Like, that feels very poetic and obscure. Like, if I got your ring engraved, it would say, like, I love you. <laughs> or something like that, right? But he was like, oh, well, you know, love is like an ember. Like, it's really easy to put it out. Um, it's really easy in our world for love to be put out. Um, but our ember will be fearless, and we will shelter it and fan it into flame. And so an ember could also be put out easily, but also could, you know, ignite into something massive. And so I guess that was the dream. And then, of course, when I found out that I was pregnant several years later, like immediately, like the first thing out of his mouth, he's like, if it's a girl, we'll name her Ember. A fearless Ember. And so, yeah, that's Ember. She is a fearless Ember. Um, she might look small and harmless, but she's not, trust me. Yet, she loses the charging cable to her Nintendo. Whole house is set ablaze with passion and fire and angst. Um, she's very fiery. So, Embers. Um, I spent a lot of time camping in my life. I don't know if any of you have the same love of the great outdoors being in the wilderness. And if you're going to survive out there even for a night, you need to make a fire. And so the person that gets to make the fire, that's often a very honored role, right? Like who gets to make the fire when you're camping? So it's a big deal, I think. And some people, their style is like, I'm going to get the torch or like light the mosquito spray on fire. That's dangerous. Don't do that. That's bad. That's really dangerous. Um, but other people, if you're more like me or, or like um, David, it's like, let's try and start a fire without matches, like Castaway, Tom Hanks style. Yeah, and if you're hungry and cold, that can lead to fights, good times. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but starting a fire is a big deal, and it's a skill. It's hard. A lot of people have never tried to start a fire. Um, it's really difficult, but here's the secret. You need two things to start a fire, okay? Your little spark. Maybe let's imagine you're actually going to use matches, and you have a little pile of kindling. The, in order for the fire to light, it needs both um, enclosure and exposure. And what I mean by that is like, you can't just light a piece of kindling because the wind will put it out. The flame can't survive. The flame actually needs to be held safe away from the wind. It needs to be enclosed. So you often like pile wood around it a bit and you have your hands over it and you're kind of sheltering it from the wind um, because it needs to be safe. It needs to have a, a space where it can actually light. Um, but if you enclose it too much, the fire dies out because it needs oxygen to live. So often if you like start a fire um, and you have lots of enclosure and lots of safety around it, it'll light, but like a few minutes later your fire's out because you stacked the wood on top of it right away because you got so excited that you finally had flame, then you actually, you, you put it out. You, you suffocate it. It dies. 
So it's really wild that a flame needs to be enclosed in safety, but it also at the same time needs to be exposed to the wild, dangerous, unknown. And I, when people ask me sort of what, what it means to be um, spiritual or, or spirituality or what it means to even like be alive in this world, I think it's very much to be a flame. You need enclosure. You need a space to be safe, to be held. But if you're just held in safety for your whole life, you will be suffocated. You can't live that way. You need also at the same time to be exposed to the wild, harsh mercy of this world, to be ignited. We need to be both held and ex exposed. We need to be safe and connected. And this fragility and resilience together um, is fire. And that's within each of us. And that teaches us a bit about our God. So let's just do a quick blitz tour. Fire is a really big deal in the Bible. Like I would argue that the word fire shows up more than almost any other word in the Hebrew. Um, fire is not just like a cool element that's in the Bible, but um, often God and fire are associated with one another. The very first thing God creates is light. I don't know where light comes from if it's not from fire, but the very first thing God creates is light. Let there be light. The very first beings um, that are ever called rulers in the Bible, a ruler given authority. It's not the humans. Often people are like, oh yeah, um, you know, Adam and Eve are given authority, like have dominion and rule over creation. But the first beings that have dominion, do you remember? It's the greater light and the lesser light, the sun and the moon. They're the first rulers in creation. They dictate for us the seasons. It's by these rulers that we will tell time. When Adam and Eve uh, eat the fruit that they're not supposed to eat and they're exiled from the garden, um, God guards the entrance to the garden with a flaming sword, fire. Uh, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, uh, in Genesis 14, 15, um, Abraham has to bring all these different animals and cut them in half, and then Abraham's put into a deep sleep while God walks through the parts as a flaming torch and a smoking fire pot. God is the fire. When God finally hears the cries of the enslaved Hebrews, he appears to Moses in a fire. There's a bush that is on fire. And what's strange about this bush, because Moses is in a desert, um, tumbleweed and like dried up old plants would have spontaneously combusted all the time, but it would kind of just like poof in flames and then die out. But Moses goes to look because he's like, this bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And the fire speaks, Moses, take off your shoes. The first time God reveals his name, the first time God calls anybody my people, God speaks in a fire. After many dramatic plagues, the enslaved Hebrews are uh, rescued. They're, they're, they're sent out of the house of slavery. Um, and they're w running, presumably, away from Egypt towards the wilderness. And, uh, but they get to the shores of the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh changes his mind. And there's an army behind them. And there's a you know, chaotic water in front of them. What are they going to do? Um, there's a pillar of fire that blinds, makes so the Egyptians can't come closer to them. And the pillar of fire is what guides them through the wilderness for 40 years. And finally, when they construct the tabernacle or when Solomon finishes building the temple, um, the project is complete only when the fires of heaven come upon this dwelling place of God. It says in Exodus 19, um, when the enslaved Hebrew, uh, the newly emancipated Hebrews um, made it to the base of Mount Sinai, they couldn't get near to the mountain. Um, it says in Exodus 19 that Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. In Leviticus 19, think about how big of a deal fire is to our faith because the whole sacrificial system involves fire, right? 
I think um, actually my grandfather, who's this like amazing agnostic, that's cause he's like you know, all his siblings are like missionaries and pastors. So I think it's just sort of his party trick, but maybe not. Bless, him. I love him. Um, he thinks that the reason that God chose Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's is because um, when Abel burned meat at the altar, whereas Cain boiled, uh, burned grain, the fat in the meat would make a plume of black smoke go up really fast. And so he's like, the ancients would have understood that that was God taking Abel's offering. Um, but the whole offering system is about the fire that comes from the presence of God. In Leviticus 19, it says, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the offering. Um, and then here, I'm going to slow down for a second, and I want to tell you my absolute, probably, one of my absolute favorite Bible stories about my favorite Bible character, Elijah. Um, I'm actually going to read it for you so that you can kind of feel the drama of it all and get fired up, perhaps, because where are you, Megan? So far, this is fire. No, she's not here. All right, just like going through the Bible. Pretty bold claim there, Nikayla. Um, all right, in, in 1 Kings 18, there's this prophet named Elijah, and he's going to go and challenge these prophets who have a lot of power and privilege. It's basically him versus 400 prophets who worship another god from another land. Um, and Elijah's going to confront the king, and it's like this big drama. Um, they're at the end of three years of a drought. It hasn't rained for three years. So, you know, people are pretty thirsty. Uh, and it says in 1 Kings 18, um, Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, and Baal has 450 prophets. So he sort of invites them to a challenge. He says, get two bulls for us. Bull, like, like a cow with horns. You know, not like a bull, like a bull um, for us. And Baal's prophets can choose a bull for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set fire to your offering. And I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but I won't set fire on it. And then here's what we do. Like, you make your altar, put your animal sacrifice on there, I'll do mine, and then you call out to your God, and I'll call out to my God. Um, he, he literally, in verse 24, he says, then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of my God, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, this is great. Like, what's this weird man against 450 prophets of Baal? Like, this is great. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls, prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull, prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. I think in Hebrew it says on the toilet, but English translators hide that a bit. Um, maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened, like cry harder, yell louder, like Elijah's having a great time. Um, so they shouted louder, they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid any attention. So then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down in the frenzy of the 450 prophets crying out to their God. So Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar. But then Elijah is showing off. He digs a trench around it large enough to hold two big um, bags of seeds. And then he arranges the wood, cuts the bull in pieces, lays it on the wood, 
And then think about this. It hasn't rained in three years. We're at the end of a crazy drought. Elijah says, bring me the water. And they're like up on a mountain. This is very bold because everyone there like hasn't really seen water in a long time. Like they're all, this is like part of the trauma of this whole event is that it hasn't rained in three years. So bring me four large jars with water and then dump it out on the altar and fill the trench. It was like, so I don't know if you were there, you'd probably be like, where did you get that water, Elijah? Why are you dumping it out? Like, I would love a drink of that right now. Um, but he dumps it out. He just wastes it. And then he says, do it again. And they bring four more big things full of water and just soak the wood, soak the animal, soak the, the altar. And then a third time he says, do it again. Um, he's just mocking them. They do it again. And then the water ran down around the altar, it says, and filled the trench. And at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me, O Lord. So these people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back towards you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and it licked up the water in the trench. When the prophets and the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, Yahweh, the Lord, he is God. Yahweh is God. God is in the fire. This is a very interesting theme to explore in our scriptures. In Matthew chapter 3, when John the Baptist is telling us about Jesus, he says, he will baptize you. Um, the one who's coming after me, the one whose um, sandals I'm not fit to tie, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. In Luke 12, um, Jesus is speaking and he's very impassioned and he says, I have come to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. In Acts chapter 2, as Amy just read, um, the disciples were gathered in prayer, um, kind of awaiting power from on high that Jesus said would come. And it says in chapter 2, verse 19, they saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. In 2 Thessalonians, I'm almost done, but like I wanted to give you a whole tour of the Bible here. In 2 Thessalonians 1, um, Paul tells this church that's really wrestling um, with their faith, kind of doubting whether Jesus is actually going to come back. And Paul says, Jesus will be revealed from heaven in blazing fire. And then lastly, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, this is my favorite. We'll read it twice here today. Um, the author says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Fire. When was the last time you sat around a fire or lit a fire? Can you remember it? I want you to think about it for a moment. Here, I'll give you this sound to inspire you. When was the last time you just stared and got lost in the dancing flame along the glowing embers? When was the last time you became aware of the fire all around us. The sun is a blazing fire. Everything that's green in the world is green because it's being nourished by the big fire in the sky. The stars are even bigger fires. The electricity surging through our streets, through our lights, these lights, our devices, our cars and trains and airplanes, they all run on fire. 
The core of our Earth is fire. That's why you have hot springs and volcanoes. It's an electrical current that keeps your heart beating. Fire fuels all of this. Think of fireflies and meteor showers. Galactic debris enters our atmosphere and burns up. It's fire in the chest of your lover that warms your cold cheek after a hard day. Your breath looks like smoke on a cold morning because within you is fire. We don't see light. Think about this for a moment. We see by light. If you are suddenly in a pitch black forest or a dark room, you don't grab a flashlight and turn it on and look into it and be like, oh, good light. That would like blind you. Like That defeats the purpose. You don't need a light to see light. You need a light to illuminate the darkness, right? It's not what we see in the light. It's what we see by the light. The light is what illuminates our darkness. We see by it. Isn't it this way with love? It's not love itself that gives your life meaning. It's what the love illuminates. You see by it. You look at the world differently when you're looking through the lens of love. And so it is with God. It is almost an idolatry of God to try and own God and possess God and, and say, God is mine now. That's not what God wants. God is not a God that wants you to consume. Instead of hold on to the God that we love, I want to see the world illuminated by this God that I know that is love. We don't see light, we see by it. We, we, we want to see God, we can't. So many people, like I work with a lot of young people, I think of it Ambrose, and it's like, I, know, I don't know how to encounter God, I don't know how to like get more of God, like I don't know how to get proof that there's a God. And I'm like, you can't see God, but you can see what the light of God illuminates, and so walk upon this land with fire in your bones. We don't quench fire. And I think that would be my dream for this church and for each one of you um, and for me is that we would stop quenching the fire that is in us, that is around us, the fire of God that is in our midst, that we would be like the fire that dances. We wouldn't seek to possess it or control it. We would just let it burn. We would let our fire, the fire of God, translate to passion and courage and a fierce commitment to being alive. Be radical, be controversial, burn for something outside of yourself, speak up, be an advocate in a way that costs you something. Let your heart burn for this neighborhood again. Let your heart burn for folks who are suffering again. Let your life force burn in you once again. Befriend the Rastafarian man who's always at Tim Hortons, invite him over for lunch. He's the fieriest guy in Bones. if you've ever walked by, am I right? Does anyone know his name? I used to know it. But like any time you even come within 20 feet of him, he's singing you a song. I don't know. Actually, now that I think about it, that's weird, some of the, anyway. But ask him his name. Fan the flame. See his face by the light of God. Invite him over for lunch. Ask someone their pronouns. Be bold. It's not hard. I did this last week. I was like, I, I, there's a new person here. I don't know their pronouns. It's not immediately obvious. I, I went like this. I was like, hi, I'm Nikayla. My pronouns are she, her. Can I ask you yours? Boom. Friends for life. Tears even. Because of the fire in me that wanted to see this person through the light of God.
Tell someone your secrets. Be the arms of safety around a flame trying to be ignited in someone else. Cry out again. Speak boldly again. Ask for help. Be exposed to the unknown and so blaze, burn with the beauty of it. Smoke a cigarette with the folks outside Bones Pub. Ask their name, laugh at their jokes, jump into the icy river just to feel the roar of your internal stove once again. It's not going to work to sit around and curse the darkness. It's not going to work to just scroll social media and get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer because of the bad news. It doesn't work. You can sit in a dark room and tell the darkness to leave, but nothing's going to change until you welcome the light, turn on the light, look towards the light. Imagine a light uh, uh, that cannot uh, be overcome by darkness. Imagine this is how John wants us to understand Jesus. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, um, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was the light of the world. And though the light shines in a dark place, the darkness cannot overcome it. And so look at your neighbor. Literally, like look around you right now at someone. See how her face is illuminated by the light of God. And when her pain is confronted by your love, what do we say? We say, her face lights up. In Isaiah 49, the dream is that we would be a light to the nations. Only a few weeks ago, David led all the kids in a happy rendition of this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. The world wants to put it out, but we gotta let it shine. How did the Magi find Jesus? Because the people living in a land of darkness saw a great light and they moved towards it. There's a quote by Sarah Bessie. I thought it really fit this like theme of fieriness and being passionate again and being brave again. Um, and she wrote, uh, I'm thinking, oh, I didn't really make this very well. Can't see that? Oh, maybe, I don't know. She said, anyway, I'm thinking about how tired a tame Christian can get. Tired of self-censoring, Tired of swallowing the questions that matter most. Tired of putting more energy into being good than being alive. I uh, have a friend named Hannah, who's Adam Ayer's sister. I, maybe he's on Zoom, I don't know, but he'll be happy about this. Um, her mom is uh, Diane Ayer, who was the librarian at Ambrose for, for like my whole life. And I, she's like one of my greatest heroes. And she has a, a painting in her house, a sign. And the quote is from Pierre Tillard de Chardin. And it says, someday, after mastering the winds, the waves, the tides, and gravity, we shall harness for God the energies of love. And then for a second time in the history of the world, humanity will have discovered fire. Something within us, for some reason, wants to always be wearing like fire-proof uh, gear and suspicious and afraid. I had a professor once that said, in our culture, we always live in red, sometimes on yellow. He's like, I'm longing for a church that lives in green. Say yes. Turn and be exposed to the oxygen that fuels this fire within us. And, it, and, and hear the words of the preacher again in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. I'm going to read a prayer. Pray with me. And then we're going to take communion together. This is my prayer for us at Awaken, that we would be um, 
passionate and brave again. That we would be a light in a dark place and see by that light. And so this is a prayer from the Every Moment Holy Prayer book. Amy, thinking of you. Pray with me. O oh God, in the brilliant designs of all created things, O oh God, in the elements and the forces and the patterns, you have embedded the poetry of your own thoughts so that all things in heaven and on earth, rightly seen, are alive and shimmering with the veiled light of your presence and power and beauty. Open our eyes then to holy mysteries fixed in spark and flame and coal and burning ember. We praise you, O oh God, for these sparks that fly upward, drawing our eyes to the stars and our thoughts to the infinite reaches of space and to the one whose infinite spirit set those stars in motion and who fills all of creation and who is also as a burning fire and a consuming flame. We praise you, O Lord, for the leaping dance of flames, giving warmth and comfort in the cold. As this seasoned firewood ignites, so may our own hearts be made suitable tinder and fanned to blaze by the breath of your spirit. We praise you, O God, for light in darkness, for bonfires and beacons, for hope and companionship and bright way stations on our journey. We thank you for gathering, gathering such as this, amongst fellow pilgrims drawn to your light. Burn bright your mercies, O God. Flame high your love, O Lord. Illumine our shadows, warm our hearts. Let us live a light with your holy flame. Once again, amen. So um, it, I, I'm just really honored to move directly into the, the communion table and invite all of you now to come up um, in, in an embodied way and participate in this healing ceremony that is communion, that is consuming the elements. Um, and as a reflection on this table, because this is about um, the sufferings of Christ, the betrayal of Christ, the broken body and blood of Christ for us. Um, and I'm reminded how profound it is that at the communion table, we see that sometimes fires go out. Yeah. Um, the log eventually turns to ash. Jesus is the light of the world, and yet the small wick of heaven was also consumed and exhausted. The earth turned dark, it says in Matthew's gospel, when God drew his last breath on the cross. And so we remember a God who illumines our lives, and yet who is also very present with us in the darkness. And so I invite you to come to the table and remember that we are ashes to ashes and dust to dust. And yet, we are also invited to the great mystery of a fire that doesn't stop burning. We are invited to the presence of a God who is a consuming fire. And so while you consume these elements of body and blood, may you find yourself consumed. May God burn away the parts of us that don't serve us anymore. And may God find within each of us a kindling to keep the blaze burning bright in our dark world.